Welcome to Inspiration, Influence and Impact, the podcast with your hosts, Karen Caswell and Catherine Williams. Listen as guests from all walks of life share where they have found inspiration, who has influenced them in their lives and what impact they hope to have on the lives of others. These stories not only connect and empower us, but inspire, influence and impact those around us, often more than we'll ever know. We acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and all Indigenous peoples of the world as the traditional owners and custodians of country and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters, sky and culture. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Inspiration, Influence and Impact. Our guest this episode has influenced many through his work in inquiry-based learning, which informs and guides my practice with student-centered learning by helping me to nurture wonder, curiosity and agency in the classroom. Not only is he an inspiring and supportive educator, but a genuinely kind, caring and encouraging person. One of my favorite things about this guest is that a Twitter connection has become an in real life friend. I'm delighted to welcome Trevor McKenzie to the podcast. Hi, Trevor. It's a pleasure having you here. Hi, friends. It's so good to be here. And those are such kind words and they're so, such true words. We connected on Twitter and through the power of, you know, the social media and the PLN and, and connecting across vast landscapes. Uh, not only have we become friends, but we've worked together. You know, I visited your school and, and we've turned into uh, close buddies. So it's nice, isn't it? It is. Very nice. And still get to see you virtually these days even though you're far away yeah nice to meet you Kath and and you're hosting me here on a brand new podcast episode two this is so exciting I'm so honored to be the second guest on your podcast (laughs) oh it's wonderful to have you Trevor you are well known in the education world but for our listeners who may not be familiar with your imprint on the world just yet could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself like where are you located your current work and your passions and your mission and vision Lovely. Thank you, Kath. Yeah, so I live in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. It's about as far west as you can get in Canada. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful space to live and work and play. Uh, I have a lovely wife, Sarah, and two amazing boys, Gregor and Ewan. They're nine and 12-year-olds, respectively. And I'm an educator. I'm a teacher. So I teach high school English. Um, I teach at a school that's just a short five-minute walk from our house. Um, and I teach from an inquiry stance, as Karen had mentioned. I, I, I have certain values and beliefs that shape the time that I have with students. And, and those values and beliefs have led to uh, me also being an author and a consultant. So I would say that the heart of my authorship and, and consultancy is in supporting schools and implementing those values and beliefs. So uh, pre-pandemic, that meant visiting schools around the world, hence my connection with Karen. I visited Karen's school maybe three years ago um, and supporting schools and teachers in teaching from an inquiry stance. And now, of course, all that work, I'd say most of that work is, is virtual. You know, I am traveling ever so cautiously and infrequently across North America now, but um, and, and, you know, I, I suppose I'm really passionate about student-centered learning and constructivist values and what that looks like and sounds like and feels like, and that all students deserve an opportunity to, to explore their passions and interests in their schooling experience. Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. And what I love about um, your sharing is that it is authentic and genuine. You share a lot of what you do in the classroom with your own students. Um, it's not a theory-based. It's, it's practical. It's what you do every day 
Yeah, Karen, absolutely. And and it's great theory. Don't get me wrong. Like the constructivist approach is fantastic, but I my I would say the sharp end of my work is really on implementation. And and I am a high school teacher, but I work with middle schools and elementary schools, primary schools around the world. And so um, you know, inquiry isn't just something for little kids in grade one or year one or year two. And it's certainly not just for high school students. It's for every student to discover agency and a sense of belonging and explore curiosities in their classroom. So absolutely, my, my books, um, my consultancy, anything you see me share on social media is pretty, pretty darn closely tied to, uh, to those experiences that I'm so lucky to be a part of in the classroom. It's fantastic. Next question is, where have you found inspiration and what impact has it had? Oh, gosh, that's such a big question, isn't it? You know, I, I think of, well, first of all, I think of some of the, you know, I truly feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. I think of some of my mentors that I've looked up to over years and years and years of teaching that have slowly become friends. I think of Aussie friend, Kath Murdoch. You know, she has been a mentor and has turned into a dear friend and now a collaborator. We collaborate on a lot of really neat projects and opportunities. Um, I think of Ron Richard and Mark Church's work. I've got a big stack of books beside me. If, if the podcast listeners could see the desks, they'd see all these you know, books beside me. Um, I'm a huge fan of Guy Claxton. Guy Claxton is a, a great guy. Guy is a great guy <laughs> out of the UK. And, and he has written dozens of books in the field of education and specifically looking at what are the learning muscles that students need to flex to become uh, stronger agents over their learning. So I suppose on, on a foundational level, those are some authors and now turned friends that have shaped my practice. And then, you know, I, Karen, I'm just a learner. You know, I'm just insatiably curious and and you know, everything around me is a learning opportunity. I know that sounds cliche, but I learned so much from my students, you know, coming in with a, a fresh lens and uh, holding up a mirror to my practice and really being rooted in relationships helps me get to know my kids really well, <clears throat> excuse me, and then in turn ha have that shape my practice. Um, and I also learn a lot from the colleagues of which I work. You know, there are some amazing teachers in our buildings who aren't published authors, who aren't global consultants, but they do amazing things. So I suppose what I'm saying is I just, I try to approach each day with an open mind and open heart and really be willing to be a learner each and every day. And I think my students benefit from that too, when they see a, an educator who's passionate about learning first. So um, I mentioned some really big names, mentors, but then <clears throat> the, the students there in front of me, I'm learning from every single day. I think that um, willingness to be reflective, I know you're very reflective with your practice and obviously, you know, other people are inspiring you in that way, but that's inspirational in itself in that you're so willing to be reflective and to question your own practice and how you can do better for your students. Yeah, Karen, thanks for, thanks for that. That's a great compliment. And, and, you know, it, it makes me think of, um, uh, of a lot of the work I'm doing with schools now is is on, and it sounds weird, so forgive me, but it, it's really on the, the thinking and the dispositions of the inquiry teacher. You know, I, I argue that 90% of the hard work happens inside the teacher's mind, right? Like, what are the decisions they make? What are the questions they ask of themselves to take next steps with their learners? What are, what, what's the reflective practice? What, where is it? And really trying to draw the curtain back on that, to, to demystify that. So for you to recognize that from afar, you know, is really quite an honor and, and I'm quite thankful. And, and really I've, I've tried to model that with those schools I support. And that would be an underpinning of the work that we do is how do we embed more of a reflective practice across the whole school from leadership 
to you know that middle leadership who are just as powerful leaders as the principals and heads of school, um, to teachers and then to students. You know we need to be flexing that reflective muscle constantly. And so um, definitely that's a mirror I hold up to, uh, to my practice. And I would say I, I get interrogative with my practice. You know inquiry-based learning is an aspirational pedagogy, isn't it? We're, we're never actually there, and uh, we have to continue to push our practice and be reflective in order for us to best meet the needs of our students. So Karen, that's like a compliment of the highest regard. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and I think it's a beautiful thing to be a, a lifelong learner and to journey with your students. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just today we were talking about competency development in class and we were talking about curiosity. And you know, what does curiosity look like and sound like and feel like? We were trying to write descriptors for curiosity because we all say we want our kids to be curious, right? But do we take the time to unpack that to a sophisticated level? And we were trying to come up with what, what's the behavior of curiosity? Like, how do you know it's actually happening in class? And, and that's a pretty nebulous conversation, isn't it? And students were coming up with the most amazing answers. Like, curiosity sounds like questions. And it sounds like asking more questions when you hear a question. It looks like looking at things from different angles and not being content with one perspective. Like, these are my kids' words, not mine. And I was just like blown away. And then, you know, what I did is I modeled some curiosity of my own. I, I showed them some things that I've been working on. I've been curious about in my own practice so I could be a better teacher. And when there's that kind of synchronicity in, in the learning, when, when they're in it and then you're in it too, uh, that togetherness is, is essentially what we call social constructivism. You know, we are together making new understanding. There's not this top-down approach. There's not this teacher talking at students. It's we are working together. We are partners in learning. And to a certain degree, we're negotiating learning, aren't we? And so that was really evident today. And, and I encourage all teachers out there to, to find that, that balance with their students where you are becoming more and more partners with one another and modeling that you are a lifelong learner as well. I would bet every teacher around the world would say, I'm a lifelong learner. I would push teachers to make that transparent, like bring your learning to the forefront of your teaching practice so your students can see that and witness that. I think there's a lot of power in that transparency. Yes, I love that analogy of being a partner in learning. Yeah, and you know, Kath, that's not, those aren't my ideas. Again, th this is the, the theory of constructivism. This is the decades and decades and decades of theorists and practitioners before us. Um, and I'm, I'm constantly learning. Like I was just on a great call, a great webinar with good friends, Kath Murdoch and Kimberly Mitchell. And Kath was referencing several authors that I, I never had heard of. And I was writing people down, James Bean. I, I've got the list right here beside me, James Bean. Oh, I'm like, Susan Engel. That sounds amazing, Kath. I wanna learn from those. And these are authors who were published in constructivism 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So this work isn't anything new. Uh, this work has legs and it has shelf life. And I encourage teachers to become acquainted with that school of thinking. You know, I think uh, inquiry-based learning is quite popular right now, but it's certainly not trendy, it, it, it's timeless. And I, I really encourage teachers to sink their teeth into the school of thinking that is inquiry-based learning and constructivism. I think the digital age that we live in now um, has helped a lot of people in that sense because they're seeing people hearing people talk about it and then that helps them i guess pursue that interest or you know it's something that they then hear oh i want to know more about that i think being able to be connected um in the way that we are now has gone a long way the broader understanding or the broader implementation and a lot of a lot of these beliefs yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it sounds like a shameless plug, but it's not like find me on social media and, and you'll see that the community that is following me there and it is a following, but it is a community 
uh, are, are inquiry practitioners from around the globe that I've connected with, that I've worked with, I've supported their schools. And, and it, what you're saying, Karen, is evidence of that community. Like every teacher there is chewing on constructivism and inquiry-based learning, sharing ideas, asking questions, sharing resources. And uh, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I think the uh, advent of social media and uh, the, the professional learning network, you know, the power of the PLN in our pocket is bringing some of these ideas that used to be really, um, you know, kind of nebulous and, and out there to being tangible and practical. And uh, I really, I really, really value the, the, the social media aspect to my growth and my learning. Absolutely. I'm sure both of you do as well, right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. A couple of years ago, a turning point I found in my career, like I've been teaching, well, had been teaching for 31 years, but it wasn't until my last couple of years of teaching, because I got connected through social media, Twitter in particular, with the education world, made a huge impact and, and reignited the passion. And that's when I started getting into the STEM and the inquiry learning, but it was all just new, really, to my school. So I wish I could, you know, take you back. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and you're you're not the only one, right? Like how many educators around the world were in the same boat? Like I, I had that fork in the road where I logged into Twitter for the first time and I found this community and I found these conversations and hashtags. And and I think back, like, what was I doing beforehand? And you know what we were doing beforehand? We were learning from people in our buildings, right? Like, you know, our our, our committees that we are part of, our faculties, our grade group teams, um, any initiatives that were going. And that was rich learning. That was really rich learning, but now it's like accelerated. Like let's times that by the hundredth degree. And, and because now we can connect with even more like-minded educators who can push our practice. You know, I found early in my career, I was one of the only inquiry practitioners at my school. Maybe there were a couple that, I, that were there that I was gravitate, gravitating towards, excuse me. But as soon as I found social media and the power of the PLN, I found thousands of teachers who were sharing resources, who were supportive, who had amazing ideas. And when we talk about growth and accelerated growth, as you're referring to, Kath, like all of a sudden, whoa, this is happening. That's such a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. It, it always surprises me that there are still teachers out there who haven't discovered mm. the richness that is Twitter and the PLN. And it's not going anywhere, folks. Jump on board. It's an amazing place to connect and learn from one another. Uh, it is. Absolutely. Well, following on from that, Trevor, while you have had a significant influence of thousands of others, not only in Canada, but internationally, who has influenced you and in what way? Oh, gosh. Um, I think of my co-author, Rebecca Bushby. Uh, she's a, a kindergarten teacher here in our city. And I tell you, I, I'm inspired by her all the time. She recently changed school. So she's at a school now that is a short 10 minute walk from my high school. And you know what we're going to do this year? We're going to do some buddy teaching. We're going to do Fabulous. some buddy inquiries. And so I'm always wow. learning from her. And it's, it's always so neat as a high school teacher to go work with a, a younger primary room. You know, and what you want for the kindies, when you what you want for the primary kids, you kind of also want for the high school kids. Like you want your high school kids to find joy in learning, to be insatiably curious. So I'm always learning something from Rebecca and looking at it through the lens of, hey, what is she doing, and how could I embed some of that in my practice? Um, Jessica Vance is a fantastic educator of Austin, Texas, that I've just deeply, deeply uh, grown more and more fond of over the last couple of years. Um, she does some amazing work with regards to place-based learning. Uh, her passion is questions. And like questions is a skill, isn't it? Like how do you embed more questions in your practice to ignite curiosity, engage your kids in more discourse? And then as they're sharing, you respond with more questions and, and then you use what they're sharing to guide next steps. So um, Jessica's Instagram, actually both Rebecca and Jessica are just so such prolific sharers on Instagram. 
it's like everything they post is a little micro PD. I, I watch that. I get inspired. I try something on. And, and so those would be two educators most recently. Rebecca, we go back a long way, but I, I just deeply, deeply adore her sharing. And then Jessica, for sure, if, if educators out there aren't familiar with Rebecca or Jessica, you got to find them on Instagram. Absolutely. I would say, and you don't have to, uh, you can share this story. You, it's in, in your book, so I assume you're happy to. With the boys, your children, um, how particularly Ewan, when he started school, the influence that he has had on you. Yeah, Karen, thanks for bringing up that story. And you're right, it's in the book, so I'm more than happy to talk about it. But but Ewan, uh, both my kids are you know, really unique, as are all of our children. Like as parents, you just see them as being these little diamonds in the rough, right? Like they're, they're your little precious jewels. And, and Ewan, as a young boy, he's now 12, but, you know, through preschool, he was just so uniquely curious. And uh, he was a storyteller. He was a reader before you thought kids could be readers um, and just had really, really, um, he, had, he had a lot of feelings as well. You know, I wouldn't say he's an emotional boy, but he felt things. He, he, was, he was a compassionate soul. And my wife and I were really somewhat concerned, I say that lightly, around what schooling would do to these really unique characteristics that we felt our son possessed. And, and not just our son. I'm sure there are many parents listening to this who's like, Ewan is my boy. I know that kid. And, and Ewan really, you know, forced me to look at my own practice. You know, I think the, the Trevor McKenzie teacher 1.0 version would have marched into the principal's office and said, this is my special kid, you know, do something neat to meet his needs. And I, I didn't do that. I, I, again, Karen, reflective practice. I held a mirror up to my practice and I decided to be the teacher that I thought my son needed to be. And the, the biggest joy of my successes, I, I tell you, and I say this really, really honestly, uh, globally recognized best-selling author, travel to schools around the world. The biggest success is seeing that my work has landed in my son's schools to see that their teachers are talking about inquiry during parent-teacher interviews, to see that I'm invited into their schools to support them in their PD. I'm supporting you in school next week on student-centered assessment. You know, I'd trade every success and every book sold to ensure that that kind of change happens to support my children. And that's kind of my mission, to be honest. It's student-centered learning for all students around the world. And that sounds really big and robust and a big dream, but why not, right? It, I want it for my kids. I want it for all kids. So thanks, Karen, for bringing that story up. It means a lot. And as you can see, it, it has a lot of roots for me in terms of uh, what I want to do in education. It's certainly a different perspective being a parent as opposed to being the teacher, isn't it? It is. And I'm sure teachers, when they become parents, they go through that shift as well you know all of a sudden you realize that the students you're serving are someone else's kids right they're, they're someone else's little unique personalities and and then when you see that your your children are struggling in school or they have a learning challenge or a learning stretch that the compassion for other students just becomes so strong and so powerful and I definitely became a, a much uh, more student-centered teacher um, when my kids were were you know joined us in this beautiful world for sure yeah, I found the same thing. Uh, your boys are both very unique with their own interests and certainly their own distinct personalities. <laughs> oh, you've seen them, Karen, right? You, no. You've met my boys and, and they are very, very different. As, as you know, it's funny, I, I used to think, well, you parent your kids the same, you know, like they grew up in the, in the same home, drinking the same water, eating the same food, same books. And, and in fact, I've come to realize that you don't, you parent your kids differently because they're different kids. You know, the, the, the things I do with one boy and, and the way I speak to one boy, like we have family values, we have family routines, we have family, um, you know, beliefs, but then, then there are certain parenting decisions that are completely unique because your kids are their own little thing, right? And, and um, yeah, both of my boys are, you know, they have certain values and beliefs that are families, but 
gosh, their interests, their curiosities. You should see the books on their shelves and how different they are. You should see their clothing and how differently they dress. Um, yeah, they're, they're, and that's the beautiful thing of being in education and being a parent is uh, you get to work with all sorts, don't you? Yeah, definitely. It certainly keeps, keeps life interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, the next question, you've, you've alluded to this with, I guess, your, your big dream, but what impact do you hope to have on others? Yeah, really transforming education. I, I, I truly mean that. Um, and I'm seeing it. You know, these conversations weren't as rich or robust 10, 15 years ago as they are now. And it's not just the advance of technology in our lives. School districts were not as open and organizations were not as open to constructivism, you know, I think to the United States and leave no child left behind. And, you know, the 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 movement towards overstandardization of assessment and curriculum and and now schools are hiring me to redesign their curriculum and redesign their assessment practice. So, you know, I, I truly see the timing is right. I see genuine leadership behind this work. I work with massive school districts around the world where not only are the superintendents saying the right things, they're doing the right things. They are constructivists and inquirers themselves. And that brings me a lot of joy. So when I say um, I want to change education to be more student centered, I want all students to see themselves, their cultures, their identities in the curriculum. And I want them to have a genuine sense of confidence, calm, belonging in their schooling experience. I, I truly mean that. And I, I don't think that's a moonshot dream. I think there are schools, countless schools that I work with that are committed to that vision, that are committed to that work. There are countless teachers I support who are transforming their practice to make that vision a reality. Um, I think if you had asked me that question 10 years ago, it'd be pie in the sky. It'd be, oh my gosh, that's a Disneyland dream. And that's certainly not the case now. And, and I see it day in and day out podcasts right now. We're talking about it, but you know, the school I was supporting with, you know, yesterday and the school I'm supporting Sunday, like it, it's happening. So, um, and I invite everyone to be a part of that journey. You know, this isn't my work. This is the great school of thinking. And I, I want everyone to be you know, engaged in this work as well. Yeah, I think that the system did lose its way for a while there. And I know that that had a huge impact on me that, you know, a few years ago, that was a point where I was considering leaving. It just became so disillusioned by the whole thing. But that was where that getting connected, you know, connecting with other like-minded educators who were also pushing back against the system, who were doing innovative things, uh, who were sharing their passion, you know, makes a huge difference. And I think a lot of that movement, how you're saying now, yes, administrators are working towards that. But I think a lot of that came from that ground level swell of teachers saying no our students are the priority and yeah. what we're doing in the classroom has to be for them yeah I couldn't agree more Karen I think a lot of teachers wait for the systems to change they're, they're waiting for this structural change and I beg of you don't the greatest gift you have is the time you have with kids and how you choose to use that time sometimes I hear from teachers I don't have time for that like how do you have all the time? And, and time isn't the limitation. Time is your darn gift. And you have the agency, you have the professionalism to a certain extent to choose how you use your time. I've never seen a curriculum around the world that tells you how to teach. I only see curriculum that tells you what you teach. And that's that's Kath Murdoch. She said that recently on a webinar. I love that phrase. And it, it's so true. And so, you know, choose how you want to spend time with kids. Don't wait for the systems to change. I'm, I'm trying to change systems, but that doesn't mean I wait to teach the way I want to teach with kids to best serve their needs. We get going on this work right away. And I think that's awfully, awfully liberating, isn't it, Karen? When, when we look at it that way, when we look at time as the gift, I feel a sense of 
kind of release, like something's, you know, taken off my shoulders, there's a load taken off. And I encourage teachers to look at time as their gift and, and certainly not the limitation. And after teaching for so many years, I can just see this model, this movement needs to be in every classroom. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, let, let's not muddy the waters here. Let's not overwhelm ourselves. Like there are so many small things we can do to make a difference in a child's life. Like I, ideally, I'd like to see the entire inquiry process be the curriculum. But that doesn't mean we can't teach tenderly. That doesn't mean we can't teach responsibly. That doesn't mean we can't, you know, become more partners in learning. We, we spark curiosity. Like there are all these small things we could do each and every day. And, and so I, I think it's a broad spectrum of change. And that's what I see in schools. It's kind of, you know, a growth process. But when we get into the small things that all teachers can do right away, some really amazing things happen and, and our students are worth it. Again, that sounds so cliche, but even the smallest things can have the most lasting impact. So for teachers who are new to inquiry, please don't get overwhelmed with the big shift. Don't get overwhelmed with where you wanna be in five years. We take those small steps towards that dream right away. And, and there are all those small moves and behaviors that we, uh, we bring into our practice that have a big impact. Next, we have five quick fire questions for your inspirational, influential or impactful recommendations. Who should we connect with? Who should you connect with? Well, you should connect with me, friends. You got to connect with me. Find me on social Absolutely. media. No, no, no. Uh, beyond me, who should you connect with? You know, what's a great account that I've really been uh, liking lately a lot is, uh, is Fee, Fee Morrison, STEM Ed. Yes. Um, she's just producing some really neat stuff. I wrote an article for her magazine and, um, you know, I, I just really appreciate how she's bringing a community together. So, and she's an Aussie, of course, which is also mm -hmm. nice to, for the podcast to recognize an, an Aussie educator. So I'm a big fan of STEM Ed magazine and Fee's work. And, um, if you're listening and you're all interested in inquiry, constructivism, STEM, uh, find STEM Ed magazine. Yes. Your recent podcast with her was just brilliant. It was just that's wonderful to compliment. listen to you both. Yeah, that's yeah. such a compliment. Thank you. And it was a great conversation. She's such a warm host. She's a, a magician of a host, as you both are as well. And it, it's nice to get, get locked in in those conversations, just get lost. So, yeah, she's amazing. All right. What is a must-read book? A must-read book. Um, well, I have a couple beside me, but you know what? I'm going to refer to a parenting book because I'm often asked by schools, how do we convince parents? To, to get behind inquiry-based learning when they grew up in a non-inquiry model. And I have a bunch of parenting books that I just absolutely love that aren't about inquiry, but they are about the, the growing brain, like cognitive development and what do kids need? And you know what they need? In the backstory is they need inquiry, but this is yeah. the science. This is the parenting book for inquiry-based learning. I certainly don't want parents to read my books. Those are for teachers, but this one's called The Self-Driven Child. Um, and it's fantastic. You know, why do kids need agency? Why do kids need autonomy? Why are they taking risks? And how can we have them take risks in the safety of our schools and not risks outside in the communities and in society? Um, how can we teach them that healthy balance? And, and why do kids need agency? Essentially, why do complacent educational models uh, force kids into misbehavior and stress and, and that reptilian brain? So the self-driven child, friends, if you're at all interested in uh, parenting through a constructivist lens. That's a fantastic book. Oh, sounds wonderful. What podcast is definitely worth listening to? 
other than this one and other than these, yeah. those are two. Um, you know, I'll mention uh, good friend Jake Miller. Jake Miller just recently published a book, uh, Educational Duct Tape, under my publisher's banner, Elevate Books EDU. And uh, Jake's podcast is, is Educational Duct Tape. It's all about uh, the latest, greatest in terms of educational technology. And, and he's just a personality. Like, to be honest, whenever I hear Jake talk, I'm like, this is the kind of guy I want to have a beer with. Like, he's just a fun dude. He's a dad. He's a teacher. Um, and so have a listen to, to Jake's podcast, Educational Duct Tape, if you're at all interested in educational technology um, and just a fun conversation. I'm sure you'll find Jake really, really uh, fulfilling. Thank you for those. Okay, next one is what cause should we support? What cause should you support? Oh, ooh, that's a big one. Hmm. You know, I would say, and, and I've gone down this path a lot the last couple of years around uh, mental health. Um, meditation. I meditate every morning. Uh, I journal every morning now. I was always an early riser, but now I'm spending my early morning hours a little bit differently. And it's created such a different sense of self, such a different calm throughout my day. I'm such a better educator because of how I invest in my mental health. And I would suggest whatever that local community organization or charity is with regards to mental health and teenagers, um, children, I think that's always good investment. Any mindfulness education, um, as an adult, it took me a lot of years to find that space and to find that language and to find those routines. And I, I don't wish I had them earlier, but I, I'd, like, I'd like kids to be more familiar with that language and some of those behaviors. So anything with regards to mental health, meditation, um, mindfulness, I think would be a really, really good investment. Uh, definitely, because I think we're seeing so many more children and teens struggling these days. Um, and yeah, they need that support from all around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm going to say one thing that's pretty provocative. So you'll have to excuse me. I, I question how much of our students' mental health is caused by bad teaching. Like, I, I'm just going to say it. Like, what are we doing to our kids' mental health? What am I doing? Like, hold the mirror up to my practice. Ask my kids, do you feel calm, confident, secure, safe here? And if you don't, gosh, I need to do something different. And so I love mindfulness. I love growth mindset. I love, you know, resilience, but not to get through bad teaching. And so I, I, I do believe that those initiatives are really important, but I do believe, again, we have to hold a mirror up to ourselves and consider what are we doing in our practice to support mindfulness in really genuine ways and how we're teaching and how we're assessing. Friends listening, I certainly hope I didn't offend you by saying that, but I think there's an awful lot of truth. What is schooling doing to our children's mental health? Yeah, for sure. I think so. And it, again, it comes back to that reflective, isn't it? It's no good if we're only reflecting on our students' academic performance. It's their social and emotional well-being uh, is more important, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, we, we have a role to play in that. The whole child, back, right? Yep. It goes definitely. back to those relationships, doesn't it? Built, knowing your children, building up that relationship and and you've got a question if a child doesn't want to go to school. Yeah, yeah. You know, one question I ask my kids every week, I ask them today, Friday, I usually ask this question on Friday. I ask them, you know, how are you feeling about yourself as a learner? And, and before they leave the class, I write these things down in my planner and I'm looking for the feelings I was trying to cultivate all week. I'm looking for calm. I'm looking for secure, safe, happy, confident. If I hear stressed, if I hear anxious, if I hear overwhelmed, I, I pull the kid aside. I say, what's going on? What did I do? What could I do differently next week? And I think we don't ask our children those questions about how they're feeling enough. I think that's such a great 
uh, determining or reflective factor that we could use to kind of shape our next steps. And so um, again, reflective practice, right, Karen, right, Kath? Like what are we doing to engage uh, in opportunities to learn from our students? What's so vitally important though about you asking your students those questions is that they trust you in order to answer. Um, so there would be a lot of groundwork that would need to be done beforehand before you can just ask children Absolutely. those questions. Yeah. And, and what's the groundwork? What's the groundwork? It's we build relationships mm -hmm. with kids. You know, it's, it's, and Karen, you know this so well at your school, your school does some amazing things. Relationships matter, not because we want our kids to like us, but in part because we want them to feel psychologically safe as learners so that they can be open and vulnerable and reflective. And then and relationships also matter because as we get to know our kids, we can leverage what we're getting to know to make rich connections to the curriculum. I, 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 I've said this countless times, the more I get to know my kids, the better students they seem to be. The more I get to know my kids, the better students they seem to be. Isn't that magic? And every educator would agree. And so I, I think, and your, your school, Karen, does this beautifully. You engage in time to get to know kids so that there's psychological safety and trust so that you can ask them really beautifully rich questions that will shape the learning experience. And your students don't automatically know how to be mindful and how to be reflective. They've got to be taught. They've got to be given those opportunities day in, day out, so that they can learn those skills to be able to express themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if I tried to ask that question on the first day of school, how are you feeling with no relationship, you know, oomph behind it, it's going to fall flat on its face, isn't it? And so coaching and modeling everything that we're talking about, you know, again, time is our gift. How do we spend our time to model reflective practice? And this isn't an either or this isn't we're reflective and we don't do the curriculum or we do the curriculum and we don't have mindfulness. It, it's a marrying of the two. And I encourage every teacher to find out what that balance looks like for them. You know, how are you weaving the two together and how are you coaching and modeling the conditions for you to get to know your kids, them to get to know themselves, and then them to get to know one another better. I think that's the other layer. We want a community of relationship, don't we? Yeah. Yes, I, that would be the, uh, the ideal. You have been lucky enough to travel to quite a few places in the world. So where is your dream travel destination? Yeah, well, with this audience, I have to say Australia, don't I? <laughs> well, don't you don't I? have to. Well, well, Kat, People Kat, like when hearing we're, it. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to get to Canada. Yeah. Well, Kat, <laughs> yeah. you were saying, you know, you, you live near the Blue Mountains. And like, that just took me right back. Like my, my sons and my wife and I, last time we were there, we rented the car from Sydney. We drove up. Uh, you know, we were just looking at these photos a couple of weeks ago. And so we're longing for trips and memories like that. You know, we had the most amazing experience at the Australian Zoo when we were there last. It was like experience after Perth. Like I fell in love with Perth. It was beautiful. So I sincerely, I miss Australia. Um, I love the Netherlands. I love, love, love Amsterdam. I love the Hague. Can't wait to get back to the Netherlands. And then uh, my mom was born and, and spent her childhood in Cape Town. And just before the pandemic, maybe three weeks before the pandemic, I was in Cape Town. I was actually speaking at my mom's girls' school that she grew up in um, before she moved away to Canada when she was 15. And so that was an incredible honor. And usually I travel alone without my family the first time. And then the second trip is when we go. And so I'd been in Australia a few years previous, 
the next trip, I said, well, we got to go back. You guys are going to love this. So I'm really keen to get back to, uh, to Cape Town with the family and share that glory and, and the people of Cape Town with them. But those are a few places I absolutely love. And then I have a whole bunch of places I haven't yet visited that uh, I can't wait to go visit. So um, yeah, let's get this pandemic behind us. Let, let's all get healthy and well and, and open up the world once again. Yeah, looking forward to that day. <laughs> Our elders had been thinking of doing a semester um, of his uni course uh, in Canada. He was looking, I think, um, at Vancouver to do his. And so that would have coincided um, with our wedding anniversary, our 25th wedding anniversary. And we were going to do like the Rocky Mountaineer and do the, but that's next year. So that's not happening because we won't be allowed. I can't see us being allowed to go anywhere. For a little not while yet. yet. Not yet. But you know, it, you, you raise an amazing point, right? Which is, uh, yeah, when, when students travel abroad, like what an amazing opportunity to go live and see and experience. And, and I formally invite every person listening to the podcast to find me. Like if you're in Victoria, send me a DM, we'll have a coffee. Um, I'd love to meet educators in the, in, in the face-to-face. So if you're ever in this neck of the woods, Karen, that's the formal invite to you and Kath, of course, Thank you. but you know, any listeners, you know, let's connect, uh, whether it's on social media or, or face-to-face, Victoria is a beautiful city and by all means, you're invited, everyone. Probably my dream destinations are based on where everybody is. So there's quite a few Canadian friends that I've, I'm itching to get over and, and meet in real life. Just can't wait. I, I can't wait either. All right. So I know that now, uh, if, if people haven't connected with you after listening to this, I'm sure that they, the listeners will want to. So where, how are the best ways for them to engage with you? Yeah, thanks, Karen. So my website, trevormckenzie.com, uh, full of resources and, and mm. blogs and podcasts and the whole gamut. I mentioned for your um, yours and Rebecca's sketch notes and how you do um, very kindly have them available on your website mm. for free um, and your inquiry model planner. And you do offer a lot of resources to support teachers and they are free. So that's great. Yeah, a lot of free stuff. A lot of free stuff. Thank mm. you, Karen. Thank you, Kath. And, and yeah, there's a contact page there and then very active on Twitter at Trev underscore McKenzie. And then Instagram is a favorite as well at TNC McKenzie. So find me at both those places. And, and it's just not a celebration of my work. It's sharing resources. What are some ideas that I'm currently chewing on? Who are educators that I'm deeply uh, inspired by? And uh, bringing that community together. So find that community uh, at those spaces for sure. I was having a look at your website and the amount of resources and information, as you said, many PDs as well as. Thank you, Kath. Yeah, and, and that's something that we've been very mindful of. You know, how do we make this make sense? And as a teacher, as a father, as a husband, you know, we wear so many hats and, uh, and I understand that teachers need things to be applicable and sensible. So I think that's been at the heart of the resources, the sketch notes for sure. Um, so yeah, find trevormckenzie.com and, and check out all those resources there. Well, it has been uh, wonderful having this conversation with you. Um, really some deep, rich conversation. Um, and, you know, I know that people will get a lot out of that. So thank you so much for your time and for talking with us today. Thank you both. Dear friends, Karen, Kath, I can't wait to see how the podcast grows. And, and hopefully in the future, we'll do an episode, like a follow-up episode after maybe like your 50th or your 100th, we'll come back and do something amazing. So congrats on the Great podcast. Idea. And thank you for hosting me. Such gracious and warm hosts. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor to listen to you. You are truly inspirational and just a pure gentleman. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
We are very grateful to have Trevor on the podcast. His commitment to transforming education and his passion for student-centred learning for all children around the world flowed through this whole conversation. We are sure you felt Trevor's energy and commitment as we did. We thank Trevor for his humble approach and generosity in the way he shares his time and expertise to assist others. We do look forward to the next time we chat on inspiration, influence and impact. Thank you for listening and we hope you found something inspiring, influential or impactful to take away. We'd be honoured if you shared the podcast with family, friends and colleagues and would greatly appreciate it if you could show your support by subscribing to Inspiration, Influence and Impact, the podcast, and leaving a review and rating for us. Please connect with us on social media at KCASW1 on Twitter and at Authenticity in EDU on Instagram for Karen and at KathWilliams05 on both for Catherine, as we'd love to continue the connection. We hope you join us again next episode.